crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Good morning. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be with you, and thank you to Father Clark for inviting me uh, to be with you. It's always a, a good experience to put these kinds of things together. Um, it seems as though Father Clark has been running away with the hype machine a little bit, though. Uh, don't believe everything you hear. Um, but, um, you know, if anything, you're getting a great breakfast and uh, <laughs> some great time with our Lord uh, in adoration. So uh, it'll be good. Uh, St. John Vianney is my favorite saint. Um, uh, just developed a, a great, uh, I don't know if he would say it's a great relationship, but from my perspective, it's a great relationship with uh, St. John Vianney. He's the patron of parish priests. Um, just a, a wonderful man, wonderful priest, but he didn't start out as my favorite saint. In fact, not at all. Uh, when I first <clears throat> went to the vocation director and said that, you know, I was interested in going to the seminary, and I think I was, thought, thought I was being called to be a priest, he uh, Im immediately said, okay, that's, that's great, and uh, here's us, and then he gave me a stack of books, um, literally a stack of books um, that he wanted me to read, all in the spiritual life and, and so on and so forth. And um, the smallest, the one on top, and the smallest and the easiest uh, was a little book on St. John Vianney. So, of course, that's the one I picked up first. And um, about just a few pages into this tiny little book, it was just a short synopsis of the life of St. John Vianney. Um, just a few pages in, you read this. Nevertheless, in Dardilly, seven-year-old John Marie, day by day, drove the donkey, the cows, and the sheep down into the valley to graze, taking with him his rosary and his small wooden statue of Our Lady. Along the stream, there was an old willow tree with a hollow trunk. It was a natural altar. There, John Marie placed his blessed mother and adorned her with moss, flowers, and leaves, and then knelt for his prayers and his rosaries. Maybe the churches were closed, but surely the soldiers would never find his shrine. If other children came along, he would tie two sticks together into a cross and have a procession. A few hymns would be sung, always a rosary, and then a sermon, a short one, because his congregation would sometimes get restless. Okay, I, you might be thinking that's beautiful, but as an introduction to the life of sanctity, as an introduction to, the, to union with God, Seven-year-old John Marie holding his own processions, preaching to his friends, 
you know, bringing his, uh, his little statue of Mary and so on. I tossed the book like, what am I even doing? Why am I here? What is it? How is this even possible? That's not me. That's not me. And that probably will never be me. Now I'm like 20. I, I probably won't have the faith of that seven-year-old, at least the way it was being described. And so I was just really, in a sense, turned off by that, in a sense. When I read that passage and a number of passages like it, I thought, if this is what a saint is, then I'll never be a saint. I'm not like that. I can never be what they are. I can never do what they do. Luckily, I read a little bit later a much bigger, much more thorough biography of Father Vianney. And I realized that actually he wasn't that much different than me. That was a, a little introductory book with sensational stories to, to, to bring it to have a purpose, but there was much more there. He was an ordinary man for the most part. You know, he had plenty of struggles and weaknesses and sins, but he opened himself up to the power of God's grace. And I really want to encourage you to have an, an entourage of saints in your life. Hopefully you have that. Friends in heaven with whom you can share your life. But as you're looking for them or as you find them or as they find you, as we, as we often say, I encourage you to, to read as much of their life as you can, not just the introductory versions. Because the deeper you dive, the more you move past the initial sensational stories of their life, that are meant to inspire us, but I think more often just frustrate us because they, they seem unreal. The deeper you dive, the more likely you are to see their humanity. Not much different than your own. And all the ways that they've opened themselves up to the transforming power of grace. Becoming a saint, holiness, sanctity, is nothing other than union with God, union with the God who made us. Just by way of reminder, I know you've heard this probably, hopefully, from Father Clark many, many times. Huh? But remember, you and I were, were created for the purpose of sharing in the divine life of God. right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God all by himself, you know, without anything, no need to create, perfect and infinite and eternal in and of himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a beautiful communion of love. There's no need for you and me. There's no need for the created world. And yet God in his goodness as an expression of that love decides to create the universe and specifically create you and me in his image and likeness. Why? He doesn't need us. We serve no purpose in that sense to him. But he created us so that we could share in his life. So that we could share in his life. And so, so often that gets, that gets a little bit lost to us because we get so caught up in so many other things that we forget that that's why we're here. And if that's why we're here, that's what makes us truly happy, truly joy-filled. A fulfilled and meaningful life is a life lived in union with God. A sin gets in the way of that. Sin is us choosing ourselves and distancing ourselves from God. He still loves us. He still cares about us. He still pursues us. He's still our father. We're still his kids. But that closeness, that intimacy, that union of life that we ought to have with him, that we were made for, that's the source of our happiness and our meaning and our purpose, is away for, is gone. You know, it's not there. The more sin that's there, the more the, the, the stumbling block is there to that intimacy and that union with him. But God in his goodness, he, he of course doesn't just leave us there. He pursues us again and again and again all throughout salvation history. Um, and then... Of course, sending his son. And we're invited to unite ourselves in the son, to the son, so that we can be lifted back up 
in union with Jesus into that Trinitarian life, a share in the divine life of God. We get to, we get to enter into that relationship that the Father has with Jesus in the Holy Spirit. And that's the fulfillment of our life. That's what makes us truly happy and fulfilled. A meaningful life is a life lived in union with God. That relationship with God is just that, though, a relationship. So in addition to God's dogged pursuit of us, God also beckons us to come to him. Right? In the nature of a relationship, he doesn't force himself on us. He doesn't, um, he, he, he doesn't overpower us, but he also invites us to come some of the way. Now, this is a whole nother talk, but it very might, well might be that, you know, our distance is this, right? And God's distance is this, but still he invites us to come. He lets us close the gap between us and him. And we see people walk to Jesus all the time in sacred scripture. We see people close the gap between Jesus and themselves all the time. People do that all the time. It's no big deal. The boy, St. John Vianney, would do it. That's what he was doing in those pastures. To me, it's just never been that easy. And walking up to Jesus, closing that gap in my life, can be likened not just to someone coming up to him as he walks along on the road, but more like Peter closing the gap between himself and Jesus as Jesus calls him out on the water. That's more like the real thing. I'm a huge fan of St. Peter. Hope maybe you are too, I don't know. For exactly the reason I've just been talking about. Right there in the gospel accounts, we see the humanity of Peter. and We see all throughout the gospels the humanity of Peter. We should be able to relate to Peter. He isn't sensationalized at all. In fact, perhaps the opposite. We see the humanity of Peter all over the pages of the gospel, and we see the radical transformation that took place in him by the power of grace. And this, the scene that I just read to you at the beginning here is one of my favorite stories about St. Peter, along with his confession of faith at Caesarea Philippi. And I mentioned the homilies before that this account took on a new meaning in my life after making my first pilgrimage to the Holy Land. This is a long, long time ago. Uh, I've made many, many pilgrimages there since then and hope to go again, hopefully. Um, but when you go on pilgrimage uh, to the Holy Land, you go out on the Sea of Galilee on a fishing boat. Not exactly the same as what Jesus was in, probably, but, you know, you get the idea, believe me. Uh, after you get out there into the middle, they turn the engines off and you get to float out there. They show you some stuff, how they used to fish with a net and things like that, but then there's some quiet time to contemplate what happened. Out on the water, we read this account from Matthew's Gospel. The first time I was there, somebody else read the account and I got to just listen to it. I was on pilgrimage. I wasn't leading a pilgrimage. I was on pilgrimage. And I listened to it. I just sat on the edge, staring over the side of the boat down into the sparkling water. It was a beautiful day. And I could not shake this nagging question in my mind and in my heart. Could I do it? Could I do what he did? Could I step over the edge of that boat onto that water? And as I thought about it, I realized that it was one thing to step off the boat into the calm, sparkling water on that particular day. Though I wasn't sure I could even do that. But it was a whole other thing altogether to step off the edge onto, a, onto tumultuous waves and dark seas. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been to the ocean or been on a, a really large lake at night. The ocean is intimidating enough during the day. You heard Father Clark mention that. It's downright frightening at night when you have no idea what's in there. 
imagining how far down it goes into the black. Jesus comes to the boat in the fourth watch of the night. This is early in the morning, but it's not daylight yet. Plus, it's stormy weather, hiding the moon and the stars as well. Needless to say, I don't think I could do it. And sitting there that day, that's what I was wrestling with. I don't think I could do it. I don't know how he did it. I'll admit that to you as I admitted it to myself back then. After we finished the trip, the effect of those moments still continued to haunt me a little. Peter did it. And we know the ordinariness of Peter. Why couldn't I do it? And I began to reflect on that a little. So let's back up just for a moment because I think this is really important. I don't know about all of you, but I wouldn't have asked the question in the first place. Lord, bid me come out to you. If it is you, bid me come out to you on the water. I wouldn't have even asked that question in the first place. huh? Peter does. You wonder what the apostles were thinking as Peter was stepping over the side of the boat. You can't help but wonder what they were thinking as Peter said those words. Lord, if it is you, bid me come out to you on the water. Well, there goes Peter again, right? That's what we always say. He's always running off with his mouth. Surely they couldn't be sure they even heard him correctly. And again, we're tempted to chalk up these words as impetuous Peter who speaks without thinking. I would argue differently. Peter's an ordinary guy, but I think he's starting to get it. By this point in Matthew's gospel, he's starting to get it. He's beginning to see what it means to have Jesus Christ in his life. Anything is possible. For Peter to ask Jesus that question, Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water, he has some sense that the real presence of Jesus on the water would give Peter himself the power to walk on water as well. Peter gets it. We don't get it. It would never occur to you and me to even ask the question because we so easily underestimate our capabilities under the influence of grace. I can never be that saint. I can never be holy. I can never be in that kind of union with God, let alone walk on water. There's no telling what God can do with us when we're in that close relationship with him. Walking on water is nothing. It's child's play. But for us, our meager expectations of what God can do in us and through us are an obstacle to his actions in our life. This is what makes the life of Peter such an inspiration. This is what makes the lives of the saints such an important part of our faith. But we can't read the lives of the saints like a fairy tale. These are real people. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things by virtue of their union with Jesus. Why do we settle for the way things are? It doesn't have to be this way in our life. Christ can transform us, and he can transform our culture and our world. I know it's hard to believe. A long time ago, I had a conversation with... um, Okay. A long time ago, I had a a conversation with a class of seniors that I was teaching at one of our high schools. And as an introduction to the sacrament of marriage and John Paul II's Theology of the Body, we watched the movie Fireproof. It's old. It's an old movie. Maybe some of you have seen it about marriage. It's uh, old now. The acting isn't, you know, fantastic. But it's good enough. And the movie itself is pretty good. For the most part, they loved it. But I had to remind them, this is not that much different than the other romantic comedies that they watch. It's the exact same thing, except you... Where their romantic comedies, you include the obligatory, really awkward moments. Here they hear the really awkward moments where they talk about Jesus, and there's uh, certainly no element of friends with benefits and things like that that are in the typical uh, romantic comedies. Oh, it's the exact same thing. But their romantic comedies are all the same. Blah, 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 and in the end, there is true love. 
love how it's supposed to be, love for the sake of another. They use each other, or one thinks the other is using them, and then they find out that they're not using them, so that they really have true love, and everything ends up really great. Remember those romantic comedies back in the day? Then my high school girls are bawling because that's what they want for themselves, true love. They don't want to be used, they want to be loved, but that only happens in movies. It's not true in the real world, so they go back to their regular life, lower the bar, and are content to be used as if there's no other alternative. And I have to assure them, no, it can happen. That's real. If you seek it, you will find it. If you hold out for it, you will receive it. And better yet, you can have it right now in this moment from God with Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is essentially what we do, I think, with God. We're content to live mediocre lives because we're not convinced of the amazing things that are possible with God's grace. This is not the case with Peter. Peter knows there's no limit, even to walking on water. You and me, we need to table our expectations. Like Peter, we need to recognize there's no limit to what God can do in and through us if we are intimately united with him. In our marriages, in our families, in our careers, in our prayer, in our relationships, in so many other areas of our life besides, there is no limit. We cannot fathom the opportunities. Okay, the question is asked. Peter asked the question. We wouldn't even ask the question. Peter asked the question. And without even a moment's hesitation, Jesus says, come. This is the moment of truth. Can we close the gap with our Lord? The payoff is unbelievable. Can you imagine Peter telling this story in the local pub? Right? Yeah. I said, I said, hey, if it's you, bid me. And he said, come. And I did. I walked up, you know, and people, no, come on. Right? Yeah, I did. I did. I'll, I'll bet you a beer right now. <laughs> the next round, you can ask Andrew. His brother would back him up, right? The sinking part would be included by Matthew. Was probably Matthew. <laughs> but great stories aside, this is the great adventure. This is cooperation with God. How amazing that can be to cooperate with God. Just, you know, we could talk about this for a little while. We're not, we'll move on. But just think for a moment, the creator of the universe who breathes out the stars wants to cooperate with us and invites us to cooperate with him. Blessing. Talk about an adventure. Talk about amazing. Talk about life-changing. Talk about exciting. The opposite of boring. That's walking on water, cooperating with God, skipping out on low expectations and doing whatever it is God has in mind for us without limiting him or being short-sighted. That adventure is what living life with unbelievable joy is all about. Even in the midst of trial and suffering, good times and bad, we die with a permanent smile on our faces when we've ridden along the narrow and difficult roller coaster, the ups and downs, that adventure with our Lord. The payoff is unbelievable. We have to take the risk. But even with such a high reward, there are obstacles. And I just want to mention a couple. Peter was always saying things without thinking. That's what, we, that's what we typically see in the gospel passage, or it appeared that he said things without thinking. And to think that those things were allowed to go by without a little ribbing from the other apostles is to sugarcoat the apostles, I think. I think, I think they would have given Peter the business a lot. In the moment Peter made his request and Jesus said to him, come, Peter must have turned back to the other apostles in the boat and looked at them. He must have thought, 
they're already going to make fun of me for saying what I said. If I step out of this boat and sink right into the water, I will never hear the end of it. We care so much about what other people think. Don't we? What will my wife say about this? What will my parishioners think about this? What will the people on retreat think of me if I say this? What will my parishioners say if I do this or preach that? Caring about what others will say or think holds us back more than anything else. There are so many opportunities lost because of what we think others will think. Listen, that sounds silly, right? Ridiculous. What we think others will think. Man, life is way too short for that. To spend time thinking about what others will think about. Another obstacle is that we doubt ourselves. Surely St. Peter had a moment when he doubted whether he could do this. Right? Am I up for the challenge? Am I up for the adventure? Will the adventure kill me? We doubt our talents. We doubt our capabilities. And I've struggled with this on a number of different times in, in the midst of discerning my own vacation, early, my own vocation. Early on, before I entered the seminary, um, people would ask me, preaching, like, really? You're going to stand up in front of people and you're going to talk? And you're going to, like, really? And I would downplay it. Like, oh, that's just a little part of what priests do. You know, mostly we forgive sins and make Jesus. Uh, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Turns out, as you can see, preaching is kind of a big part of what we do, right? Uh, now, one of my favorite things. Later in the seminary, after being God, confident that God was calling me to the priesthood, I, I wanted to do it well. And I realized, uh, and, and, and I started thinking to myself, like, well, what, I, if I'm going to do this, I want to really do it well. I don't want to just half it, you know, uh, halfway it. I think that's a better when we're being recorded that's the better way and in front of Jesus that's the best way to say that <laughs> we want to halfway it right but you we realize how ridiculous it is to think that God would call us to something and not give us the means to do it or the job the tools to do the job we don't worry about that we can't worry about that God will provide for us whatever it is that we need as he calls us on the water I think when Peter stepped out of the boat and stood on the water and then began to walk, he knew he wasn't doing it on his own. I think he knows he's under the power of Christ working in him. In fact, I would suggest that it, perhaps it's a little egoism that begins to make him sink. You know, maybe thinking that, oh, maybe I am doing this. Looking over the side of the boat on the Sea of Galilee, one of the obstacles I noticed right away is a little difficult to explain. I'll do this quickly. Um, I my, my brother... Um, my brother has gone skydiving before. I love the idea of skydiving. I think it'd be really, I think that would be really cool. Uh, one little problem. Uh, I'm told that when you, I don't know how many of you have done this before, but when you're in the plane, in the doorway of the plane, they can't push you. And I just can't take that step, right? To look out the side of the plane, looking down, when I see that on a TV screen, I'm kind of like, mm. <laughs> I, there's no way that I could, I could take that step, that first step. I'd have, I'd have to be shoved. Apparently, they can't do that. So looks like I'm never going to skydive. <laughs> but I had a similar feeling looking over the side of the boat that day on the Sea of Galilee. I wanted to do it. I wanted to take that step over the side railing. I wanted it. I desired it. But I just could not. I felt like I could not lift up my leg 
up and over the side of the boat. It's as if my feet were weighted down and I just couldn't move. One of the big obstacles to entering into this adventure with the grace of Jesus Christ are the attachment to other things that really weigh us down. These could be certain pleasures, certain selfish tendencies. They could be some kind of unforgiveness in our life. They could be simple things like food or TV shows or hobbies. These are things that we have made a lord of our life. And here, I guess, I want to emphasize the attachment to these things. And we'll expand on a few of these things in the, in the, yet this morning. But so many of these things are good in and of themselves. But we're so attached to them, so obsessed with them. And they're like a ball and chain attached to our leg, preventing us from getting out of the boat. We have to be rid of the attachment. We don't have to necessarily be rid of the thing itself, but we have to be rid of the attachment. Often that requires getting rid of the thing for a while in order to be free from the attachment. But that adventure is impossible with the ball and chain attached. Even if we could get out of the boat, the weight of them would make us sink. The last thing I want to mention is the obstacle of fear. Uh, an entire day-long retreat could be given. I believe this is the greatest obstacle to the spiritual life, is fear. And this one I think we can say even Peter would have struggled with. We see that in some way in his threefold denial of Jesus. But in the case of that moment on that morning on the Sea of Galilee, fear somehow was dispelled. I think Peter knew it was Jesus standing out on that water. When you think about it, who else could it have been? It had to have been Jesus. When it comes to fear, it makes all the difference in the world who it is who's saying to us, come. Our Lord is completely trustworthy. His love for us is so perfect. He gave his life for us. Look what he does for us. He's so trustworthy. I haven't counted them myself. They say the most often repeated phrase in the scriptures is some form of do not be afraid. It is these very words that Jesus speaks to Peter before issuing his invitation to come out on the water. And I'm reminded, reminded of the profound words of our Holy Father, Pope Benedict XVI, uh, at the beginning of his pontificate, so this is a long, 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 long time ago, the very beginning of my, of my priestly ministry, um, but I, hopefully they're already, they're very familiar with you, to you. I, I look back at them often. He said, this is the beginning of his pontificate. Are we not perhaps all afraid in some way? If we let Christ enter fully into our lives, if we open ourselves totally to him, are we not afraid that he might take something away from us? Are we not perhaps afraid to give up something significant, something unique? something that makes life so beautiful? Do we not then risk ending up diminished and deprived of our freedom? No. If we let Christ into our lives, we lose nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of what makes life free, beautiful, and great. No. Only in this friendship are the doors of life opened wide. Only in this friendship is the great potential of human existence truly revealed. Only in this friendship do we experience beauty and liberation. And so today, with great strength and great conviction on the basis of long personal experience of life, I say to you, dear young people, do not be afraid of Christ. He takes nothing away and he gives you everything. When we give ourselves to him, we receive a hundredfold in return. Yes, open, open wide the doors to Christ and you will find true life. Amen. A retreat day like this, and even the beginning of the season of Lent, is an opportune time to make the decision to step out of the boat. I know you've heard that phrase before. It's an opportune time to make the decision to enter into the great adventure of a life lived beyond our expectations in the midst of God's grace. Brothers and sisters, you were made for a radical relationship with the God who loves you. 
Regardless of your weaknesses or your failures or your sins, you are being called to a deep and profound union with God. You are called to a life of holiness, each and every one of you. You can be a saint because a saint is simply an ordinary man or woman who is willing to be transformed and enlivened by the grace of God. The payoff is amazing in this life and in the life of God. He offers us a life really lived. In your discussion and prayer, in addition to the questions in your booklet, I'd also encourage you to think about and talk about the obstacles and attachments that hold us back from coming to our Lord. Maybe just as important in your prayer today, ask the question. Ask the question that Peter asked. Lord, if it is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And listen to his response. Come. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Listen to his response. Come. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. To this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and at our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.